I got such anxiety with racing to the point of kind of three days before a race, I would start to feel like I had no appetite. I'd be pacing around quite a lot. Mm. And it just took, it took that joy out of that aspect of running. Like I said, I just really loved, I loved running. I love being outside. I love pushing myself. I love all the training, but the racing just, I, I don't know, it just didn't work. I just had such anxiety with racing. But I believed within myself that I could do something quite powerful and I could really push myself with running. So I guess at that point, having those kind of questions of, loving running and wanting to do something with it but not racing led me kind of down the path of investigating what else what else is available what what else can i do welcome to out of adventuring the show about explorers and inspiring adventurers and the details behind their incredible journeys they not only take us to their hardships and highlights but also let us know what they have learned on these trips that has changed them and their everyday life Hi, I'm Torben from the World Explorers Collective. And today with me is Emma Timmes, a British explorer now living in New Zealand. She's a long-distance runner and recently broke several world records, which is something so fantastic because Emma never thought that she could break world records. She always loved to run, no questions, but she hated to race. She got terrible anxiety when she had to race and days before she couldn't eat and she just absolutely hated it. It took out all the joy of running, knowing that she had to compete. And it was then at some point that Emma realized she can do different things than racing, following her passion of running. She created her own challenges. And one of the first one was running across South Africa for weeks and weeks at a time. That huge project was a kickstart of an athletic career that is now slowly transitioning into a professional career. And her latest achievement was something so unique and weird at the same time. She already holds the world record of crossing New Zealand in the fastest time. And just recently, and actually just a few days before we recorded this episode, she broke another world record. She covered the most distance on a treadmill in 48 hours. Yes, it sounds terrible. She spent two days non-stop on a treadmill to cover over 350 kilometers. And for her, this was not about getting a world record just like that. But how she put it, it was one of the toughest mental challenges that she could think about. Because imagine, it's great to run outside, breathe the air, see the scenery. Yes, it's tough, very tough, doing it for days and days at a time. But being locked in, a small local gym and just running on that treadmill sounds absolutely terrible. And that's also what she thought. It was just such a hard mental challenge. And we are extremely happy that we get to talk to her just days after she completed her world record with her bodies still aching. But overall, and that's the amazing thing, physically, she's doing fine. So in terms of how my body's recovering, my body, I'm so surprised and impressed that my body actually feels incredible. If, if my toes weren't completely destroyed, 
Like I've just got blisters all over my toes. If my toes weren't destroyed, I honestly don't think I would even feel like I'd done anything. Like my legs feel completely fine. Everything in terms of my body, muscular wise, feels mm. just absolutely normal, which is mind blowing. I don't know wow, how yeah. or why. Well, there's a few, obviously, there's a few different elements that I'm drawing upon as to why. But yeah, it's just incredible that I've come away like that. But yeah, my feet, my toes are in a really bad way. Is that what you were expecting that, like, is that the weak link? Yeah. So a few weeks, about five weeks before I actually injured my hip flexor and I've had really tight quads. So I was anticipating that my hip mm. flexors, my quads, my glutes, I was anticipating that all of that was going to take a long time to recover afterwards. And mm. just general fatigue throughout my body and tiredness, I was really expecting. But yeah, literally like the very next day after finishing the run, my legs are absolutely fine. So yeah, super, super happy about that. You weren't even so concerned about the physical aspect. You were going to make it. The question is how far, but you're going to make it. What about the mental side? How hard was that pushing yourself through this monotonous activity for 48 hours? Yeah, well, so one of the main reasons for me wanting to do this 48-hour treadmill run was because I see running on the treadmill as one of the most mentally challenging things that you could do in terms of a physical challenge. Mm. And I'm super curious about where I can push myself to mentally and how I can get myself out of it. So that was the whole purpose of this was to investigate that and learn about myself and It absolutely did what I was expecting. So it was extremely mentally tough, like more mm. mentally tough than physically. And there was quite a few differences that I wasn't really expecting compared to other long distance running events that I've done. So when I've done previous super long runs, I do experience highs and lows, as you would expect, but they would they're generally kind of longer. So you might have like a few hours or like 20 or 30 kilometers where you like dip into a dark space and mm. it's really hard and just, you know, all of the mental challenges are there and the questions and the doubts and all of that real tough mental side of it would normally last a few hours and then you kind of pull yourself out of it and then you might have a high for a few hours. Whereas this on the treadmill was something that I'd never experienced before, that it was kind of like 10, 15 minutes each, high as a kite for 10, 15 minutes, and then like seriously low for 10, 15, and then up and down all the time. So, you know, within the normal period that I might have an altered mood, I was having kind of four or five or six moods within that mm. normal period. So that was, it was really interesting and unexpected. And must have seen, seemed completely insane to everybody that was around me and observing it. But, uh, you know, that was really interesting to experience and to problem solve how you can get yourself out of this. So, yeah, it was yeah. what I was expecting but in a very different way. So I asked my friends, what, what should I ask? What's the, <laughs> and then one of my friends says, she slept for two hours. Like, 
what made her step on the treadmill again after sleeping. So well, like like you you so just for everyone to listen, you you had the option to step off and to take a a drink or to sleep or or rest. It will of course be deducted from your time, and you had forty eight hours to you know break a record, and you yeah. took a quick nap. Now I'm asking, you woke up after that very probably unresting and ner nerving nap, and you thought, of course, I'm <laughs> going to jump back on. Or was there a moment where you thought, no, I'm just going to stay here? <laughs> well, so there's two parts to my answer to this. So firstly, you are correct. I did try to have two and a half hours sleep. Unfortunately, I didn't sleep for any of that time oh. whatsoever. So during the whole 48 hours, I actually slept for one minute. Uh, that was kind of an accidental sleep that I was surprised that I got because I kind of came around and I was like, oh, I've just slept for one minute. And that was like two and a half hours before the end. But so I didn't have actually that the two and a half hours that I gave myself to go to sleep, I actually didn't have any sleep. However, I'd had a massage before so I had a massage, then went to lie down. And I think just lying down for those two and a half hours and the massage that I had before was quite a quite an intense massage in the like the sore areas of my legs. So my quads, my hip flexors, my glutes just had quite an intensive massage for maybe 25 minutes before going to lie down for two and a half hours. And actually having that lie down and the massage probably combined when I did get back up again I could walk which was great because I kind of wasn't really able to walk or run <laughs> when I went to lie down so mm. you know I'm I'm quite a believer that when we sleep and when we really allow our bodies to rest like that's when all the healing happens so my intention was to sleep and allow my body to heal and then to be able to run faster and further after having that rest obviously I didn't sleep but after the rest I was able to run again and I felt a million times better so I definitely appreciated it and I, I would do the same again if I had the same opportunity it definitely helped and just mentally I, I felt a lot better and also I guess it's kind of it breaks it down into two days so you know thinking oh I'm going to run on a treadmill for a solid 48 hours or a solid two days that's quite intimidating but to break into yeah. two separate sections is a little bit easier mentally to absorb my goal was always to try and do 200 kilometers in the first 24 hours which I mm -hmm. think I did in 23 hours or 22 something and then that's mm -hmm. when I got the sleep in so I kind of I already felt like I was ahead of the game and that mm -hmm. allowed me to go for that little rest so yeah it was it. It helped me. I didn't, there definitely wasn't a feeling of, I don't want to get back on the treadmill. I mean, it's not the, it's, it's not the most exciting activity in the world, but I didn't wake up thinking, oh, don't make me do it. I don't want to do this. And someone yeah, had to convince me into it. There was none of that. I was kind of like, right, let's just get on it. Let's get it done. You were in a record breaking mood. I mean, of course, one element was getting through it by yourself and just having that mental challenge. But of course there wasn't there was an element of well you now you have the world record so well, first of all like yeah. huge congratulations you have the official i don't know if it's like full-on official official yet but i saw someone was there to make it official i have to looking at all of these i've got witness statements uh, and everything they need <laughs> submitting before it's official but yeah 
but but you have it and it's the just so i get it right it's the longest distance run within 48 hours on a treadmill correct female female the males they've got quite bigger numbers but you know for female (laughs) yeah yeah but oh well that's that's is that is really really cool and thank you yeah it's very 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 impressive how much was that a in the end, a push. I, I saw you reach that goal before, so it wasn't like a close finish. You actually significantly, yeah. by, by a decent margin, overshot. How was that feeling when they told you you got it? Like you still had, like, I think, like two hours left or something. Were you then okay? Yeah. This this is it. Or didn't it change anything? Yeah, it wasn't. I th- yeah, it was probably not as thrilling and exciting as you might expect it to be because you know if you're going to break a record you always want to try and put as much extra onto it as you possibly can Mm. and I guess in my head it would have been nicer to have gone past the record maybe five or six hours before the deadline but uh, so yeah when when the time came I kind of I was in so much pain physically that I wasn't running very much. I was kind of down to walking. So I was just thinking, mm. I just want to, I want to try and get as much on top of this record as I can. But I was walking so slowly yeah. that it just, it seemed, everything just seemed to be going so slow. That last kind of two and a half hours felt like an eternity. Yeah, I think two and a half hours running is always an eternity. Just <laughs> as a standalone. So. <laughs> um we definitely go back a little bit and also compare what you've done now with all the things you've done in the past. But an interesting element now is how how did you get there? Because you are not just someone who just got up and realized, okay, well, I might just break that record because it's, you know, I have a treadmill and I can do it. You've done a lot of running in the past and you've, but all of that was, of course, outside. You crossed continents, you crossed, of course, you crossed New Zealand. I think that's Every athlete at some point will find a find a challenge in their home country, which was extremely challenging for you. I think you you said this was probably you know one of the the hardest one. Now maybe the treadmill was might even been a bit harder, but yeah, maybe share 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 a little bit. How did you get to where you are when it comes to I am completely obsessed with running long distances that are you know, almost journeys. They're not runs anymore. There's several days and weeks and it's a full, full journey. What led you that? Have you been always like this as a, as a kid or did it start at some point? I guess this could end up being a long story, but That's where we're here. I'll try and keep it, keep it relatively short. Yeah. So I started running when I was 12. Uh, my PE teacher saw some talent within me and we didn't have athletics at my school so she recommended that I join a running club within the city that I lived in and Mm. I used to compete I never I was never very good at competing in any of the events they had available so track and field you know much shorter I I looked like a sprinter and I probably still do look quite like a sprinter rather than like the the long lean marathon runners I, I look I gain muscle quite quickly and I'm relatively short. So I look more like a sprinter. So I was always put with the kids that were there in the 200, 400, 800. And I just was so slow. <laughs> they would always beat me. But I just loved the training. So I always went along just because I wanted to train. I never wanted to race really. And then 
as I got older into my 20s, I used to race kind of 10Ks and the occasional half marathon, but not very much. That was still too far for me. But again, I just loved the training. Mm. And I could often do faster times in training than I could in a race. And I just, I got such anxiety with racing to the point of kind of three days before a race, I would start to feel like I had no appetite. I'd be pacing around quite a lot. Mm. And it just took, it took that joy out of that aspect of running. Like I said, I just really loved, I loved running. I love being outside. I love pushing myself. I love all mm. the training, but the racing just, I, I don't know, it just didn't work. I just had such anxiety with racing. But I believed within myself that I could do something quite powerful and I could really push myself with running. So I guess at that point, having those kind of questions of, loving running and wanting to do something with it, but not racing led me kind of down the path of investigating what else, what else is available? What, what else can I do? And then it was around 2010 that I was working for the RSPCA, which is a charity in the UK that's all about animal welfare. I was working for them and wanted to do some fundraising for them. At the same time, all of these ideas were coming together. A comedian in the UK, Eddie Izzard, he was twice my age, absolutely not known for any kind of fitness whatsoever, definitely not running. He decided to run something like 47 marathons in a row around the UK. And he was twice my age and unfit and not a runner. And I just kind of all of this came together at once. And this is where I came up with the idea of running across South Africa to raise money for the RSPCA. And I guess that's really where these ideas of like running adventures was born. So just seeing that somebody else did something quite impressive mm. just made me realize that there's, there's something that I can do that's not a competition. So it's not going to fill me with anxiety. I'd done a lot of traveling just as a backpacker. And, you know, going out, eating all the time, drinking all the beers, getting unfit, getting fat. And, you know, like I loved traveling, but I didn't necessarily like it in that style. And then I realized that I could travel, I could run, I could push myself, I could explore places. And that kind of combined everything that I loved at that point. I was kind of 27 years old then. And yeah, things, things just led on from there. Mm. Does that answer that question or have I just gone off on a tangent? No, it's wonderful. I was just about to say that was very fast and great. And it's, <laughs> it's no, really, it's very interesting to hear that you said a big part in the beginning was that anxiety towards racing. How, how do you think that happened? Or do you still have that? Was it the, just the pure competition, all, all eyes on you, and now you set against uh, someone else? Or, or where, where do you think that anxiety came from? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure where it came from, but I guess a lot of it is putting too much pressure and expectation on myself. And mm. in the last maybe six years or so, I've done a lot of work myself on that because 
I have decided that now I do want to race. I do want to compete. I do want to put myself against other people and see how I compare. But a huge part of it for me now is all just about the process and loving being outside and loving moving my body and not not putting any pressure on it. You know, like, does it really matter if you come first or you come 10 or you come 100? It actually, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. Your friends and family are still going to love you. You know, so I think I've definitely put less pressure on myself. I want to do what I can. I want to do the best that I can. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything in the world. If, you know, mm. if, if I come in a different position to what I want. So I don't have that anxiety with racing anymore, but that is because I've done a lot of work to get to that point. Yeah. And so that means you say racing, there would be official marathons that you have, have to sign yeah, up where you, yeah. yeah. So it's not even that you try to go into, you know, a roost of Olympic teams and you can't anything kind of like that, but just a official race where you in the end be ranked against someone. Yeah. 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 And when you now a bit back to some of your runs and maybe the first run through South Africa, because obviously you did not really know what you were getting yourself into. I mean, how could you? <laughs> you you've been an avid runner. You knew, you know, you can run a certain distance. You can also run one long distance. But when you do these kind of journeys, there are boring elements such as logistics. There are boring elements such yep. as, it's not boring. It's just, you know, security, yep. all these elements, the what ifs. Uh, and how did you go about that doing your first trip? When you said, okay, I'm now just run through South Africa from, you know, one place to the other. It will take me quite a while. Was it a bit of a, well, I just figured out along the way, or did you then start meticulously planning on how you're going to do that? Yeah, there was a lot of planning and preparation involved in it, but there was also a lot of naivety. <laughs> I was... Mm. 26, 27 when I did this and, you know, same as probably most people that age, like I'm invincible, nothing's going to kill me, yeah. the world is all friendly, it's all fine. <laughs> and my boss at the time, he was South African and he did say to me, you're probably going to get killed. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> you're just like, it will never happen to me, it's fine. No. So, yeah, I was quite naive. But equally, I would probably still do it again if I turned back in time. So mm. there was a lot of planning in terms of getting the route that I was going to be following and making sure I had all of the equipment that I needed. My brother came with me. He was my support on a bike and he was actually cycling around the world at the time. He had all the equipment that we needed in terms of cooking stuff, the tent, the bike itself you know, any of that kind of stuff. He had all of that with him. So mm. that was kind of sorted from the beginning. I was working to save all the money. Obviously, things cost money. And yeah, I got us a tracker so that there was a tracker with us if, if people wanted to follow where we were going and also for safety in case anything happened. So there was a lot of planning and preparation, but equally it was quite a very low-key event, really. You know, I guess this is... You know, 20, 2010, 2011 is kind of, you know, social media wasn't really a massive thing. People weren't using yeah. it in the same way that we are now. It was just kind of every time we got to a town, we would post something on social media. And other than that, it was just us kind of 
running through the desert, running through the bush. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. very low key. And because he mentioned the social media aspect, which, as he said, 2011, Facebook existed, obviously, in the heydays, but mobile internet was not a thing yet to that extent. Yeah. So that, that has changed significantly. I mean, now you see when someone scales Everest, five minutes later, it's on Instagram somehow. They have yeah, yeah, yeah. bring satellite internet. I don't know. And that's fine. And there's absolutely no critique in that. Everyone tries also to put some social media around their their activities. How does it feel for you now? You've done more and more of these events. You are getting more traction in, in that sense. Now, what's your relationship to social media? And having that comparison of not having it in the back of your mind, thinking, okay, I need to do X, Y, Z on social media. And versus maybe now having it a bit more, but what's your relationship to it? Yeah, good question. I'm one of those people that I'm always trying to use my phone less and less. But obviously there's there's massive positives as well as negatives, isn't there? So, for example, on my training, I never take my phone when I go training. Um, mm. I don't carry it with me I, because for me, running has always been my time. For me, I also don't want my phone because I don't want someone phoning me. I don't want them to call me when I'm out training. You know, I just want to mm. be in nature and have that as kind of my relaxation time away from any contact for the rest of the world. But it is amazing that we can inspire people through sharing our journeys. You know, like the since finishing my run this weekend on Sunday, so three days ago, I've had so many messages from people saying that I've inspired them. And if we didn't wow. have social media and I wasn't sharing on that, then, you know, that I may not have affected someone's life in the way that I have. So that's kind of a beautiful side of it. I don't necessarily feel a pressure to post on social media. In fact, I often forget. That's because I've got a bad memory. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I personally need to post all of the time. Maybe some people do, but I just... I tend to forget to post more than feeling like I need to post all the time. I think that's a very fantastic, fantastic answer and something I'm very happy that you mentioned that because obviously a lot of social media is a bit, you know, to promote oneself, which is again, super fine. But yeah, people tend to forget that it, even when doing that, you have a very positive effect or you can have a very positive effect on people who see what you do and who get inspiration yeah. and true inspiration out of that. And I think this is the beautiful side of following along and people like you do these incredible journeys that it's, you know, kind of gives you a bit of hope in the sense, well, this is a normal person doing something crazy. Why can't I do yeah. something crazy? Why can I achieve things that seem completely unreachable? And so I think that is a yeah. really fantastic way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's the same when I, I follow people that do do these big adventures and, you know, I've got my training schedule and sometimes you think, I really don't want to go out and do this training today. You know, maybe it's raining or maybe it's just very inviting to sit on the couch. And then you see on your social media, well, this person's just, run a hundred kilometers. So I should really go out and do my 10 K training run that I need to do. Mm. You know? Yeah. It is inspiring. Yeah. Because I think it's important to know that you are not a professional athlete. I don't want to say it's just a hobby. It's maybe a bit more than a hobby, but yeah, it's a, you have a, you, you have a job and this is 
to a large extent just what you do in your free time or you even take holidays to do that and yeah, it's just yeah. a big passion of yours right yeah exactly i mean i would love to be a professional if somebody would pay me <laughs> this is not now it's out in the world maybe someone reach out <laughs> one other aspect that that we get a lot where people think that if you do something incredible when it comes to sports as an athlete or an expedition you are pretty much funded by red bull or something like that you know yeah. because this is what this is what everyone sees like oh god this person now got you know so much money to run this is crazy and even yeah. once you become professional or, or maybe especially if you become professional this is a really tough job and it's not only about yeah. running that's in your case or skiing or whatever you do that's probably the easiest part but the hardest part is what I hear from a lot of people, all these things around it, getting sponsors, getting the time, getting the money, getting all these things in place. And then on the other hand, there's of course the question around, okay, what if you don't have that? What if you just have a job? How do you make this work? So how, like, how do you do yeah. that? Is it, you just save up, this is your priority or are you slowly looking into, into sponsorships, etc.? How is that set up for you? Yeah, so I haven't really received any, well, actually, I didn't receive any financial sponsorship for the first 10 years of me doing these big events. For 10 years, mm. I just worked extremely hard. I would sometimes work three jobs at a time and then accumulate holiday from work. And I would use those holiday days to go off and do something and then have to return straight to work when I got back. And it's, it's really hard, but that's a sacrifice that you make. And it's, you know, the choices that you, you make, you know, I've never had a fancy car. I don't buy designer clothes. I don't really buy clothes. You know, I don't, I don't have all of those kind of things that other people might choose to put their money into, because I would be putting my money into saving up for flights and equipment that I might need to go somewhere and do something. And that's mm. what I would choose to put my money into. After 10 years of doing these big extreme adventures, I was fortunate enough to get some sponsorship for my length of New Zealand run. And that was the first mm -hmm. time that had happened. And it was an incredible feeling. But the thing is, it was probably a much better feeling for me because I'd worked so hard in the past. You know, if, if I'd have just been given money straight away, then I probably would have just got used to it and thought that that was the norm and that's how it is. But actually, you know, the the satisfaction and the sense of pride that I got from a, an organization saying, we believe in you and we're going to give you this money to fund your trip, to fund your world record attempt was so amazing. And I was so appreciative of it. And, you know, I'll never forget the years of graft that I'd put in first beforehand. But then, for example, this, you know, the world record I've just done over the weekend, that's had no money put into it. I'm very fortunate that a few businesses got involved and donated things. So I had a, a nutrition company have given me food. I've been sponsored by a running shoe brand. So they're on board with me now for the future, hopefully. So I didn't have to pay oh, congratulations. Trainers, you know, but I've got, thank you very much. So, you know, I've got things that are coming in, but that still doesn't pay my mortgage or my rent, you know, so I still no. do have to earn money. I will be looking for sponsorship for the next event that I'm doing, but you know, it's, it's not easy. It's really not easy to get 
companies to to be on board with you because there's so many people doing different things nowadays. There's a lot of competition. You've got to do something that really stands out and that they're drawn to. I think that's exactly it. It's very hard. There's a lot of people out there. And that in the end, you need to also find the right sponsors. That makes sense. And the element that you said that you need to stand out, how do you feel like do sponsors now expect world records, expect world first and, you know, putting yourself in danger and doing crazy things because things are just getting more and more extreme and are more and more seen. What's your view when you when you talk to these sponsors, <laughs> what they want? Yeah, so I guess I'm in a bit of a, a different situation because... I guess because I do both things. So I do race and I do world records and like mm. world's first kind of thing. So I've got a little bit of two different things going on. Mm -hmm. So I've previously been sponsored with equipment based on doing a specific event. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of worked well up until now. But now that I want to compete a lot more, And I want to be able to train and have like the best quality training that I can. Now I'm looking to work with a brand that wants to work with me on a permanent basis so that I can mm -hmm. make sure that I've got all the equipment I need for training. Being a long distance runner, you go through shoes quite quickly. So mm -hmm. the previous way that I was doing things, which would be to decide I was doing an event like a world record or traversing a country or continent or whatever it would be, I would then approach a brand and say, do you want to support this event? And then they would give me whatever I needed for that event. And yeah. that is fantastic. And it's great. And I'm very, very appreciative. And it's it's worked really well in the past. But then you finish the event and you don't have whatever equipment that you would need to keep training for something else. So for example, with running, if I was sponsored a load of running shoes for a specific event, and then that event is over, well, I still want to be able to train, but then I'm, I'm having to work more to be able to buy more trainers so that I can still train. And it's just a huge demand on your time and your resources. So there's, that's what it's been previously for me. And it's been great. I've had some really amazing brands work with me. But now that I really want to push myself as far as I can with competing in longer distance races, it does mean that I need I need a constant supply of trainers and equipment, clothing. So now it's the first time ever that I've signed a contract with a brand and I'm working with a brand that's going to keep me in shoes and keep me in kit which is fantastic for me because it, it just gives me that peace of mind that, you know, if I'm doing 200 kilometers a week running and, you know, trainers mm. are only supposed to last between five, 500 kilometers and a thousand kilometers, that's a lot of shoes that you're going through quite quickly. So it yeah. relieves that pressure of having to work more to be able to earn more and then buy more shoes. It gets rid of that. But this is new to me. So it's a very new thing, having a brand on board with me. I'm super excited about it. I can't really comment on how it is at the moment because it's only just started. I mean, so far it's fantastic, but it's literally just started. So I feel very privileged to be in this position. Yeah, congratulations. I think this is uh, this is an amazing achievement for for yeah, for someone who now wants to go to the next level, to have this consistency. Yeah. And I guess it's also a wonderful feeling to just see someone as believing in you, that they put money and 
put their name on it and yeah. say, okay, we believe in your values. We believe in what you do as a person yeah. and we want to support you as a person in doing that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great feeling that, yeah, that someone believes in you. Whenever anybody, you know, supports you and stands up for you, it just feels great, doesn't it? To know, like, actually, I am a good person. I'm doing my best and people can see that I'm doing my best. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice. It's exactly that. You know, it's like, I'm trying very hard. I'm just trying to do my best. And someone's saying, yeah, your best is good enough. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, yeah it's, it's a nice thing. Like, you, you, did, you did good. Yeah. And, you know, we want to reward <laughs> that. <laughs> So what exactly, what is what is that? Yeah. What what is that next that next adventure if you can already share it or if it's still in the in the yeah. secret and in the making? No, no, no. So the 48 hours on the treadmill over the weekend was actually the practice run for seven days on a treadmill world record that I'll be doing in a few months' time. No, no, really? <laughs> After that to do that again? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow yeah okay yeah. so seven days on on a treadmill you sort of same rules you can step off any time but the seven days are counting and the goal here is again breaking the world record on but what would that then be like the is it just now you have the longest in 48 hours and then there's the longest in seven days or is there also longest Overall, will that be then after that, or where, uh, where are we on no, the world so record? No, so that's correct. That, yeah, yeah. I think maybe seven days is the longest that Guinness World Record has. You know, there's a twelve hours on a treadmill. There's fifty k's mm. on a treadmill. Then the forty eight hours, and then seven days. I think seven days is the the longest one that they have. And that was my original goal. So at the beginning mm. of the year, I decided I wanted to go for the seven days on a treadmill, but then wanted to have a practice run through with my crew and with the logistics and going through all of the Guinness World Record evidence gathering that they require. So the 48 hours over the weekend was really just a practice to see how it's all going to work together when we do the seven-day one. Mm -hmm. And practicing logistics. So we were going to do a two-day practice run. And mm -hmm. then I thought, well, I'll have a look if the record is achievable. So then decided to add the record into the practice run but yeah obviously that all went really well but we found loads of things that we can improve on so it was really really beneficial doing that practice run like mm. everything was fantastic my team were great but there's just so many other elements that we can change and work with And we're going to turn it into quite a big event, maybe like have some like awesome. food carts outside and people can come and hang out, bring their families, the kids can come and see. And it's going to be a charity event as well, raising money. So nice. yeah, it's going to you're be running in a, a really cool event. You're running in a glass box or something? Well, you can look. not in a glass box, but we are contemplating doing it outside under a gazebo. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is yeah. okay, this is the bigger the bigger event now. You got you got yes. the hang now of okay, the first one just, you know, for everyone to know, you did it in a gym, in yep. a local gym. And yep. you could see people running next yep. to you the whole time. I can actually see that that you run and then we have like three or four different treadmills next to you and then people sometimes can jump on and join along maybe next to you. Exactly, yeah. 
Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's a great, it's that... a great way to involve people. Yeah. I think it's like a very unique thing where you do a world record and people can just see you and participate to some extent with you doing yeah, it yeah. and, and, and support, support you by running next to you. And but it's really, really fascinating. Once you've done that seven day treadmill adventure, do you think you will then focus again on the journey experiences, go out and try to run long distance outside again? Or could you imagine that, you know, try to be more on the athletic record-breaking side <laughs> rather than the journey side? Yeah, I feel, you know, my my life changes all the time. But what I feel at the moment is my plans for next year is to get back into my trail running. Trail running is like my heart and soul. That's what I absolutely love. That's where my passion is. And, hmm. you know, the treadmill stuff is really, for me, it's about testing my mental strength and learning a lot about the mental side. But that can all be put to use with my trail running. So yeah. next year, I would really like to focus on 100 kilometer races on the trails and fingers crossed, hopefully get over to Europe next year for some big races over there, because that's where all the amazing races are that, you know, oh, all the world class yeah. athletes go to. So I'd, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to race in Europe next year. That's like, that's my goal. Fingers crossed. But then real established races. Like organized races that you want to, con well, yeah, well I, hope, yeah. I hope that works. But in the mountains. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The Alps, there's quite a perfect playing ground for these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'd like. To Wonderful. The last point I just quickly wanted to touch upon, because I think it's such an interesting contrast that you're also an artist. You yes. like to paint. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. We, you make things. What's that? What's, what's that art like that you make and how, how yeah, does that help so, Yeah, so I got a leg injury back in 2016, 2017. I used to be a mm -hmm. rock climbing instructor and I got a leg injury that went on for years and years and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I had to give up my career as a rock climbing instructor because I couldn't stand all day. And mm. my other passion when I was younger was art. And that was something that I was capable of doing that was sitting down. So I began my career as an artist, which I'm very fortunate that I have that as well, because that's quite a flexible job. I work for myself, so I can work early in the mornings, late at night. I can fit my work and my training around each other. And it works quite harmoniously together, which is, is perfect for my lifestyle. It means that I'm often working seven days a week, but you know, it, it, works around the other things that I want to do. So I feel quite lucky with that. And that's your main job, right? Your art, being an yep. artist, that's it's incredible yeah, yeah. because I think for many people, being an artist is their dream that and something they do besides their nine to five jobs. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, for you, this is the main job. So it's, it's quite a wonderful setup having these two things in your life. Yeah, it, it is a, a wonderful thing and it is amazing. And I feel very, very grateful. But Both of these things that I do, both the art and the running, they require a lot of pushing all the time. You know, I'm always having to try to find my customers. You know, customers don't come to me the same as the sponsors don't come to me. I have to try and find them. I have to search for them. I have to put myself out there. I guess with both of them, the art and the running, it's I'm learning that you have to be vulnerable 
and you have to yeah. put yourself out there. And people love to buy into a story and to to learn about the real you, whether that is through your art or your running. Like it's the the story of the yeah. human being that people really want. And actually it's the same with both, whether it's the artwork or the running. So I'm learning a lot about this as I get older. Wow, that's wonderful. When you go through a party mm -hmm. and they ask you, so what do you do? What do you say? Oh, I'll try and change the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair. Who knows? Because I'm very curious if we say I'm an artist and I like to run and maybe one day you become a runner who likes to paint. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? I like that. Well, thank you so much for, for this wonderful conversation. And I, I feel it's so great that we now become a bit part of your journey. You haven't reached everything yet. You're just sort of transitioning into a new phase. And it's very exciting to have you here in that moment where, you know, things become a bit more serious and you worked so hard. The first sponsors, it's wonderful to hear people at that stage because as we talked about, You always see the people who already made it, got the big names and, you know, this is their job. Those are the ones on TV. And that's exactly why also we try to do this podcast and to inspire people that everything is possible if you just put your mind to it. And you're one of those perfect examples where yeah. that grind oh, meets somewhere at some point. Just going to say, like, age is also no number. Like, I'm 40 next year. And I think a lot of people feel like if they've not become a professional athlete by 25, it's over. Like, the it's absolutely not there's people older than me that are still yeah. getting sponsored getting professional careers out of it so you know yeah that, age that's is wonderful. just a number it is just <laughs> a number yeah that's true also try to tell everyone that one last question <laughs> if you could go out probably for you on a run and you could only bring one thing or one thing that's absolutely precious to you what would that be Ooh. One thing. Oh my gosh, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Why you like put that one off me? One <laughs> thing that's special to me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. If it was just one thing, it would, and it could be anything, it would probably be a photograph of my family. That's wonderful. Yeah. They, you know, my family's on the other side of the world and I went back home in February and, you know, just realizing how important they are to me and how special they are to me. You know, having their faith and their backing behind everything I do is is something that really powers me through. So it would be that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you enjoy the show, please, please, please subscribe or like or give some stars. It means the world to us. And if you want to know more about the show, about the World Explorers Collective, about our guests, make sure to visit worldexplorerscollective.com where you can find all the shows, where you can find all information about our grant and how to win it and more stories about inspiring adventures. And I hope to see you next time.